Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome back to Apply Filters, episode 36. Uh, today, we're going to mostly talk about some things that we've been working on. Uh, we've got a couple of main subjects to hit on, as well as uh, a little bit of a discussion on some recent security things related to plugin releases. Um, why don't we just go ahead and jump right in, and Brad, tell us what you've been working on. Yeah, well, we've uh, we've been working on the our Amazon plugins, uh, the release that's coming up for Amazon S3 and CloudFront plugin. Is the release getting closer and closer? It is, but we, I mean, there's still lots of work to be done, <laughs> and so probably we're still probably a couple months out. It it seems. I think I said that last last episode. <laughs> so we're not big on on release dates, but um, we're pushing forward. Uh, definitely things are getting done, so that's that's always good, right? Sure. Do you find that you set a release date once you kind of have a more uh, definitive t- time frame in mind? Uh, I, I tend not to because I, here's the reason I don't like release dates. Is if you set an arbitrary date, and it is arbitrary, right? Like you always hear yep. about like, engineering projects going over budget and over... Like, well, you know, it's supposed to take one year. It takes three years, you know, like all these. It's because there's people that are setting the deadlines. It's just arbitrary. They just they just pick a date. We want it by then. And <laughs> it has nothing to do with, like, how long it should take, you know. Um, right. And and I find with these kinds of projects, there's just so many unknowns, right, that, that you don't even know that you don't know yet, right? I found that. I don't 100% agree or disagree with you. I kind of like release dates. Um, mostly just for the reason that I think it gives you a target. Um, and, and maybe it's because I've always worked better under pressure. Mm-hmm. I feel like once I once I have a, a deadline or whether it's an arbitrary deadline or something like that set up, uh, I tend to work better because it, suddenly there is, it's, there's a goal in sight. It's by March 15, we're going to have this done or we're going to reassess. Um, yeah, but maybe that, that might just be how I function. Well, it's a good point, and it might be in the future better for my team to have a date to be working towards. I'm not sure. That might mm-hmm. be something we experiment with in the future. Um, what I've found for me personally is that it ends up being a quality issue. Like I will force if it needs to be done by a certain date, I'm going to start cutting corners when the date gets sure. closer. And I don't like that idea. I don't like cutting corners when you're trying to build a solid foundation for something that you're investing in for the future. Yeah. And, and so I think that's that's really the reasons that, that I avoid. Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that. And for us, like we set a release date for, for all of our releases, for at least the major ones. Mm-hmm. But if if that release date has to be pushed back, that's going to get pushed back before we're going to try and cut a corner. Right. Uh, so even if it's a hard set, I mean, there's no such thing as a hard set release date for us. Right. Uh, at least for how we do it right now, just because if if you tell me that this has to go out in 24 hours and it's not ready, uh, yeah, that's going to cut corners. We're going to cut corners then. Yeah, and that's exactly. what we definitely don't want to have happen. Yeah, I, I mean a lot. I mean, due dates. I'm used to from client work, you know, where there's like a marketing team that's going to do a big, you know advertising campaign launch on such and such a date and so the website has to be ready by that date or the marketing campaign will be driving traffic to nothing you know so it's like this doomsday date you know (laughs) like if we don't hit it you know we're screwed so um 
what you just described makes a whole lot more sense where it's kind of more of a flexible due date, right? Right. Um, we've also been working on the multi, multi-site tools add-on for, for um, Migrate TV Pro. So that's... Give me a quick overview again of what that's going to have. Well, you're going to be able to export a subsite. So the first release will allow you to export a subsite as, will that allow you to, as a it, single site. So ah, like you'll be that's able exactly to, what I was just going to ask. That yeah, is so cool. You'll be able to import it as a single site install. So That's such a cool feature. Yeah, that'll be pretty handy. I've, I've had cases where I had a multi-site network, and I really wanted to take one of the sites out and make it its own dedicated site. And doing that is just painful. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we have a guide right now that really makes it a lot easier, but we're just going to take that one step further, and it'll just be a couple checkboxes and, uh, you know, click the button, and you get, awesome. get your subsite p- pumped out as an SQL file. So that'll be pretty pretty awesome, I think. Um, we're also experimenting with changing the table prefix in in this uh because like we don't during, turn during the export process. Yeah, because you have to with subsite, right? Because subsites are like, you know, they have like an underscore and a number in. Yeah, in the... WP underscore thirteen underscore posts. Yeah, exactly. So, we're you know people aren't are gonna want to change those. There's there's no doubt in my mind, right? So we're gonna we're gonna allow them to change the the table prefix, and hopefully we can perfect that and then port it to the rest of the plugin so that excellent. You can change the. So, how are you handling um, when you export a single site from a network? You, obviously, you're pulling that site's tables, WP mm-hmm. post, post meta, users. No, sorry, not users. Um, all of those ones. And then, but what do you do with the shared tables? So, like the users table, for example, is shared mm-hmm. for all sites in a network. Yeah. Uh, well, we allow you to export those, and we we just treat them as um, well. So you can exclude them. So if you don't want to export your users tables, mm-hmm. you can just exclude those. And then maybe you set up a single site install somewhere else, and then you'll just use those fresh user tables and just overwrite all the other tables, right? Okay. Cool. Um, so that's one way you could do it. Or maybe you want all those users, and then sure. you, you have to go through them manually and delete the ones you don't want, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, so it really depends on what, what, your, what your goal is. But yeah, yeah it, it. it's flexible cool. enough that you can do what you need to do, I think. Love it. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll have some documentation for that for sure. Do you have a, a rough guy? I mean, a rough idea on when that will be out? Is this something you're thinking? It's a actually, week, we're, we're testing it right now. So it's, it's really close. Um, and we've, you know, we've given, so Ian's been working it. Yeah, New Zealand, Ian, uh, <laughs> he's been working on it. And uh, we've been giving them lots of, you know, pretty pretty good feedback, I think, and, and kind of pushing them to make it better. And I think it's in a really good spot right now. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Um, and then we've also been pumping out blog posts. This is something new we've been doing this year. We started kind of, you know, like all of our, our blog posts to date <laughs> have really been released blog posts. Like, here's a new release and what's new in this new release. And then that's it. Like that's our whole blog. Right. So we started right. to actually produce like original articles, like around WordPress and just development that, that, that our customers would be interested in basically. And that's, that's all under the blog on delicious brains. Yeah. Yeah. So delicious slash blog. Um, 
And so, like, I, I wrote a post about um, GUIDs in WordPress. So there's there's a GUIDs column, a GUID column in, in the posts table. And so I wrote a post about what that is and why you shouldn't touch it, <laughs> et cetera. So, so and, what have uh, you found? What's the, uh, what's the real reason that for, for the post? Did you find that it's just something you want to do because maybe it's a form of giving back? Or is it a business strategy for you? I think it's both, right? Like, uh, it. I can tell you, it's it's done a lot for our traffic to our to our site, so it's helping in that respect. And and I was hoping that would be the case. So that's it's there was definitely a strategy there. Um, but it, it's also a good way to give back. And our customers, if you if you go to the, our blog and and you you take it take a look at the comments sections, people people are really um, responding to it. They they love our posts. Um, and we're really investing. I mean, we're not like farming these out to like a writing agency or something, and they're just writing some you know drab articles, right? That that aren't aren't for developers, right? We're we, you know we're all developers, and we're writing for developers, so it's a pretty high quality blog posts. So mm-hmm. so I think, I think that's why people are kind of responding to it. I think it's a nice way to be able to help. Uh, establish a I don't want to say like a sense of authority probably um, credibility probably. credibility that's the word I was looking for yeah so as opposed to okay these guys build this cool product called called WMigrating Pro well what do they really know about WordPress in general and yeah. I think this really helps to uh, establish some of that from yeah. people that don't necessarily know who you are already absolutely so a couple more examples of posts um, so Ashley wrote one about hosting WordPress yourself and uh, Ian in the UK wrote one about um, a, a tour of uh, the WordPress database. So he goes through all the tables and explains what they are and all the columns and everything. Um, and he just put one out uh, last week about multi-site as well. So Very cool. So, yeah. You, I know you and I talked about this uh, in our pre-show before the last episode a couple weeks ago. Um, and I don't think we talked about this in the episode as much. Um, but... Uh, you told me that you were starting to do this, and I thought it was really, really awesome. And realized that huh, maybe we should do this, yeah. and so we did, uh, and we started, we started doing it as well. Um, so in the last what two and a half weeks, three weeks since our last episode, uh, we've managed to push out, I think, five or six posts across wow. two different sites. Holy shit! <laughs> um, so it's been it's been awesome so far. Um, yeah. We, so, what are you blogging about? We've got a couple of things. So we've done. Uh, we're still we're keeping it a little bit closer to the products, um, as opposed to a little more generalized in WordPress. I do want to to branch out more. Um, but so, for example, we had one. Uh, Sean wrote up about how uh, like if you want to integrate with one of our primary extensions, which is called front end submissions, and you want to do some custom stuff on that. Uh, dealing with post meta fields. Here's kind of a walk through, a, a general overview of how you can do this, how this works, um, which was kind of it was like it was the weird mesh between a tutorial and a blog post, mm-hmm. um, but it was really good. It's been received very well. Uh, and then we've done two related to Mailchimp. Um, both Affiliate WP and EDD have connections to Mailchimp uh, in terms of adding customer data or subscribing to your affiliates or emailing your affiliates through MailChimp, et cetera. Uh, so we did one about um, how you can put your put subscribers directly into specific groups within your MailChimp list. Right. So 
maybe you have three different groups in your list and you want to se separate them, um, you can do that based upon what they've purchased. Uh, and so we did that. We did another one, Andrew wrote one, about how you could take your affiliates from your from your website using Affiliate WP. Uh, and we did this actually kind of as for any affiliate program. Uh, and then how you can import those into MailChimp and use that list to actually email your affiliates. So instead of emailing your customers, you can actually email your affiliates. Um, so if you have promotional material or you have a new product coming out and you want to send this information to your affiliates to uh, help them promote it, um, this was kind of a walkthrough on how to do that. But it included a really crucial point, which is uh, how to use merge tags uh, in MailChimp uh, to pull in like affiliate specific data, so like their affiliate ID, so you can build the referral links for them directly inside of Mailchimp, ah, um, nice. and how you can do things like that, which can be really really useful. Um, so is this then, going? This is going on. So you're you're talking about the affiliate WP blog mainly here, right? Right. So this one was affiliate WP. Uh, the other Mailchimp one was EDD. So we did we've okay. been doing this on both. I see. Um, cool. People from both teams work on both projects, so they're kind of intermixed for us. Have you have you considered getting like um, like a, blogging about like affiliate marketing stuff or e-commerce yes. kind of stuff? Yes, that's so that's, not that's the focus that we want to. So not start necessarily from a developer's perspective, but from like an affiliate marketer's perspective or a. Yep. a, a I don't know, an e-commerce specialist. I don't know. I don't Which know is <laughs> actually exactly the post that that I wrote right after you and I discussed this two weeks ago, um, which was starting out very simple in terms of what are the fundamentals of running a successful affiliate program. Right. Uh, in terms of like you need to have a good system, obviously, to track them. Uh, you need to make it easy for your affiliates to do this. You need to do this and do this and do this. Um, how and long, uh, how long is it yeah. taking you? Like on, have you figured out like how long it takes you on average to to write an article and like to edit it and, and get it um, out total in total? It definitely it's 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 varying depending on who's writing it, what they're writing on, etc. Um, so like the uh, the Mailchimp article for Philly WP took quite a bit longer, but f to Andrew's credit, we were traveling across the state and we were trying to use mobile hotspots while in the car while he was trying to write it. <laughs> which made things a little bit more difficult. Uh, and we were going to a conference at the same time. Um, right. Things like uh, Sean just pushed out one for uh, the importance of staging sites for e-commerce businesses. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea he was even writing that. He just said, hey, I wrote this up this morning. I don't know. It might have taken anywhere from 10 minutes to five hours, depending on when he got up. <laughs> I, have, yeah. Yeah. Um, I find for me, I like to write post in one go. I like to sit down and finish it. Um, sometimes I'll write one and then come back to it later in the day to to kind of polish it off. But I would say anywhere from an hour to seven or eight hours. Yeah, it can take it can take a serious chunk of time to. Yeah, it to, really can to polish. I've, I've always I found that in like my own blogging over the last five years or so mm -hmm. that even sometimes a really short post will take you up to five or six hours to do. Yeah, maybe more. And I thought I thought I was just I just I thought I sucked at writing. And I've been reading this um, Ernest Hemingway. Uh, it's Hemingway on writing. It's a book mm -hmm. of his letters to people about writing. So him talking about writing, and he talks about throwing away like he throws away like ten times as much as he actually publishes. You know, or interesting. You know, his, his waste basket's full of crumpled up pieces of paper. So I'm like, huh, well, if a great writer 
<laughs> throws away a lot. Well, that's probably good that I'm doing that too. Yeah, um, certainly. Because that's why it takes so long, right? You you write a lot that you throw away. Yeah, at least I do anyway. So, I find that I will write up, like maybe I have an idea, and so I'll write a draft, just kind of summarizing it. And then the next day when I decide to come back to it, I throw the whole thing away and redo it. Yeah, yeah, it can, that can happen, yeah. It's, but sometimes it's, it's necessary just to get the idea going. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, yeah. I wish there was a better way. <laughs> I wish there was an easier way. But, I mean, that's the process, I guess, right, to, to produce content. So I think so far, and uh, you've definitely alluded to it helping, uh, I think it's a great idea having the whole team contribute post uh, on a weekly basis. So we've set it up. We set up a Trello card for it. Yeah, so um, do we. Yeah. And, and we're trying to get it. We want it to have, we want to get into a schedule where everybody posts at least one article a month. So yeah. that way, between uh, like five or six of us, we can have somewhere between three and five posts every single month yeah, exactly. uh, across the sites. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're still trying, we're still slowly getting into it. Um, like Sean's a beast and Sean is done several and then a couple others are in draft uh, but overall just just the idea that we were trying to get everybody consistently writing is good yeah and what uh, what tools are you using for I assume that you have a kind of review process where you submit the draft and everybody reads yeah. it and uh, it's all in Trello so we like we have a we, so we have a general Trello board that we call our administration board for internal projects and we have a list for blog posts so when somebody has one if they have an idea they can drop it into the ideas list and then once they are ready for someone to look at it they can push it over to like ready for review uh, and then anybody can give feedback on it. What are you using though? Are you using Google Docs or what? Trello. It's all. So oh, we'll write. The so your drafts are right WordPress. in Trello. No, we'll write the draft in WordPress. Oh, in WordPress. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it, I've always felt it was kind of silly to uh, to write something in like Google Docs or Word or anywhere else and then move it. I to me, it just makes so much more sense to just do it directly inside WordPress. The um, the the Google Docs um feedback tools though are super good how you can just highlight something and then and yeah, then uh, add a message that. to it that's uh, definitely true and then you can have a conversation in the sidebar about that you know thing you highlighted so it's pretty solid for that and then there's a they have a newer uh what's it called suggesting mode where if you turn that on you can start editing the document it'll provide um and it provides them as suggestions that the the author can go through and then like check yes or no to accept the suggestions. It's pretty solid, pretty solid. And uh, we were using that at the very beginning. And then we were like, well, why don't we just do it in Markdown in GitHub and just use pull requests and, and uh, feedback. Then do you have the, uh, one of the Markdown plugins for WordPress and then you can just copy in the Markdown. That's, uh, that's the plan. I think I was lazy We've only done it once, I think, and and I was okay. lazy, and I just I, I produced uh, those, those, the those HTML. Those really well. <laughs> What's uh, that? Uh, Mark Jakewith wrote one that's really cool, where yeah. you just uh, it gives you a markdown version of the editor. You drop it in, and off you go. Yes, yes, yes. I'm gonna. I think we're gonna try using that. Um, that's a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, and and so... the nice another nice thing about it is that you can like so we can upload images like screen grabs or whatever that are gonna go in. And mm-hmm. we just link them from within the markdown in GitHub. Oh, nice. And they just show up in there. So Yeah, that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, pretty good. 
So, what else is going on here? Uh, you have WordCamp Miami coming up pretty soon, don't you? Oh yeah, a couple months. Uh, been uh, looking at houses. I finally booked a house for the team because we're flying the whole team in for for this. Uh, it's the first time we're gonna meet in person. That's awesome. And uh, getting T-shirts printed up and and business cards and all that stuff. So everything's pretty much. I keep thinking of new things to to do that that. You know, because when you're doing something like this, it's like that you've never done before. It's it's right. kind of like we just uh, we just finished our first full team meetup uh, at uh, during LoopConf. Sorry, not LoopConf during PrestigeConf in Vegas. We rented a house out there, and it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. It went well. Just yeah, smooth. I think it, I think it went really well. Uh, just getting getting everybody in one place. Uh, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't absolutely everybody. There was. Uh, a couple people that weren't able to make it, but it was the it was the majority. It's it was everybody that's been on the team for a long long time. Yeah. So, so a couple of newer members hadn't weren't able to make it, but it was awesome. So what did you do? So you had a house, right? So mm-hmm. what what did you do for food? Did you order takeout or what? What how that work? Um, we did a whole mix. Um, first day that we were there, we went to the grocery store and just bought a bunch of stuff for uh, like breakfast and yeah. and that kind of stuff. And then we just I don't know. Did it uh, on the fly. Yeah. So one day we ordered a whole bunch of pizza. Then we went out went out to eat a couple of times, and we we spent enough time at at the actual conference too that there was a solid, I don't know, five meals or so already okay. covered. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking uh, for for us too. So. But I would definitely go to the grocery store and get some of some of the. Oh uh, yeah. Breakfast stuff. You have yeah. to when you wake up and there's no food. It's devastating. That's horrible. It's <laughs> like the worst, the worst part of my week if that happens to me. Yeah, or there's no, you know, at least there's got to be coffee. I mean, you know, yeah. people just go bananas, right? So, which was actually a problem for us, um, and we learned this the hard way. That uh, number one, don't trust Pippin to not forget the coffee maker, uh, <laughs> and number two, don't count on the house having a decent coffee maker. Oh crap. I, I just yeah. assume that there's going to be one. But. So ours ended up having a, uh, a Keurig in it, but it was a little it was a little tiny one that just barely worked. And um, a couple of us are a little more picky on our coffee than most uh, people. Ah, yes, right. And yeah. so uh, K cups are kind of terrible in yeah. in my mind. So we we took some fresh ground coffee, but it turns out that the Keurig there did not work with fresh ground coffee very well. Oh, didn't push it through or something, right? Yeah, like it had the adapter, but it would make for making a whole cup. Uh, you would get about a third a cup of coffee. <laughs> right. It was it was sad. Yeah, that's not good. You also uh, you went to uh, WordCamp this past weekend, didn't you? Yeah, we uh, Andrew and I. So uh, Andrew, who's from New Zealand, uh, who came up during uh, PrestigeConf in Vegas, uh, is actually here. For two and a half months, just kind of working on site together, getting some FaceTime, uh, and so we drove out to WordCamp St. Louis, which is about a eight or nine hour drive from where I live. Uh, so we went out and uh, I gave a presentation on getting serious about backwards compatibility, and it was a good time. Um, it went, I think it went well. Uh, the the organizers there, uh, the the primary one being Aaron Graham, did a phenomenal job and put together a good event. Nice, that's cool. Nice. Um, what else have you been working on? Uh, recently, so there's been a few things. Uh, and so some of this uh, actually played in nicely with our WordCamp St. Louis trip. So we just finished the EDD 2.3 release uh, about a week and a half ago, a week ago, uh, more like a week ago. Um, 
So we've had, obviously we've been working through post-release issues, uh, which there always are some, and we've had two minor releases that we've pushed out. So we did 2.3.1 and 2.3.2 uh, within a couple of days to fix. Neither of them were really major issues. Uh, they, were, they were pretty edge cases that we ended up fixing. But, uh, so with 2.3, we had a, a large uh, update to our URLs, our file download URLs. Um, which So we introduced a new signed URL system that makes the download URLs a lot more secure. And I talked about some of this in our last episode, um, but it coincided nicely with WordCamp St. Louis because I was given a talk on backwards compatibility. And so I was able to use this, use the signed URLs as an example, um, both in terms of a, hey, let's look at how it was done, um, and also, <laughs> did it work? So it was three days. WordCamp St. Louis was three days after the 2.3 release, so we were able to kind of look at it and say, well, did we either failed or we did well. And uh, in this case, we did well. We haven't heard of a single report of a broken site due to signed URLs. Nice. Uh, or a single download link, which is nice. Um, so it, it, was, it was fun to have that opportunity to kind of look at, use it as a case study in terms of, like, what could have gone wrong, um, a little, some of the details about how, how we managed it and stuff like that. Um, and then immediately following that, uh, immediately following the 2.3 release, we've been working on another large change that is also uh, taking backwards compatibility uh, into account with our software licensing extension. So we've had a problem for a year and a half now in that we, uh, software licensing and easy digital downloads allow you to create a bundle of products. So let's say you sell five WordPress plugins and you want to offer a developer bundle that includes all of your plugins at a discount. Well, when somebody purchases that bundle, they get a license key for each plugin inside the bundle, just like if they had purchased them separately. So that's all well and good, but what happens when you come when it comes to renewal time? Do you renew the bundle or do you renew the individual items? Well, in our case, we didn't support renewing a bundle, so you had to renew each item individually, which actually meant that your renewal cost was greater than the original bundle cost normally. Oops, yeah. Which is, <laughs> yeah, was kind of an oops and a uh, we should fix this kind of scenario. Uh, so f right after 2.3, we started really focusing on building and fixing that problem and allowing bundles to be renewed and then all of the license keys for the products inside of the bundle to be automatically renewed with that. Uh, and so that update is getting ready to go out, um, but it has to take into account all of the existing license keys that have been purchased and has to make sure that we run an upgrade script so that all of those previous bundle purchases uh, properly support renewals. Uh, right. Because we, we changed the way the license keys are stored a little bit now. So uh, what if they what if they want to only renew like only renew, renew like, one item in the bundle? Or like yeah, two or three or something. So what we've done, um, we're actually generating a set of license keys now. So we generate a key that is for the entire bundle, and then each product has a key as well. Um, and there was a, there was a few reasons for doing that, but we ended up using the post parent field yeah. inside of WP Post for that. So the uh, we generate a bundle, a license key for the bundle, and then each of the child keys for the products, and then they each get the post parent set to the bundle. So if you want to renew an individual item, all you have to do is detach it from the bundle and it becomes a standalone key. Uh, I see. So you but, can maintain the existing keys. That's right. Yeah. But if you want to, uh, so like, let's say that somebody tries, if they want to renew a single key or they try to renew a bunch of keys, if it's part of a bundle, it's going to automatically re uh, add the bundle to the cart and then mm -hmm. renew that. 
Um, and then so if somebody wants, if they say, hey, I want to renew this, but I don't want the bundle anymore, I just want this one product, you can detach it from the bundle and then renew it on its own. I see. Okay. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Right. And, that's, and, and then there's all, all these other crazy scenarios that are, there's really no point getting into because you can't cover. Like, for example, if someone, uh, they detach it and then they were like, oh, actually, I do want the bundle. I forgot about this thing I needed in the bundle. So I want to refund the <laughs> renewal of this one thing and then right. then renew the bundle. Like. There, there's all sorts of little edge cases. Like yeah, that. you can't you can't get them all right. Like it, no. it would be so complex yep. for you, you, the end you user. You do the best you can, and and <laughs> then for other edge cases, sometimes it takes a little bit of manual work. Yeah, um, exactly. So all of all of this has mostly been the work of Chris Klusowski that he's been doing for the last week and a half, which has been awesome. So uh, this morning and yesterday, I've been kind of going through and renewing, uh, reviewing all of the changes and testing them out, and it's getting really, really close to being ready to go. Awesome. So that'll just go yeah. out as a part of your site, or does it need a uh, it'll update? so it'll be two EDD. two part process. Uh, number one, we're gonna put it up on the EDD website itself. Um, like our our licenses are managed through software licensing through the extension. Mm -hmm. So we're going to test it ourselves on our own website before we push out the update. I so see. we'll we'll put it on our site. We will run the upgrade routine. Uh, we have a couple of customers that are actually waiting to renew a bundle until we do this. We'll go <laughs> notify them and say, hey. You can you can now do this now. And we're going to actually kind of use that as a test, uh, as a real world test. And then as, as long as everything goes well, uh, then we will push it out to everybody else. Gotcha. Huh. Cool. And that's the way that we usually do things. So like EDD version two point three that we pushed out five six days ago, that one actually ran on, on three of our live sites for three weeks before it was ever released. Right. Just as a way to test it in in the real world. Yeah. Now, I've uh, you mentioned uh, to me earlier that you've been doing some work on your on your site, uh, along with along with the blogging that you've been doing. You've been doing some actual improvements to the site. Yeah. What kind of yeah. things are you working on? Well, it was the weirdest thing. So I was on uh, when I, were, I was at Big Snow Tawny Conf, and I was on the chairlift going up the hill, and and I get a phone call. And I'm like, no one calls me. <laughs> and, then, and I answered, it was PayPal. PayPal, some account exec asks, asking me to upgrade our checkout to PayPal Express. And in return, they would reduce our, our rate, our like per transaction rate. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And so I looked into PayPal Express and I was like, oh, I don't know about this PayPal Express thing. It's kind of weird. It's, the API is kind of wonky. It's yeah, it's maybe it's not good. Uh, maybe it won't be good for our checkout. And but uh, push forward anyway. And I think it is actually a better experience now. Um, is that live on the site now? It is. Yeah. So the way uh, the way it works, PayPal Express over. So PayPal standard, the way it works is you fill in your whole order details, and then at the end it bounces you to PayPal, and you log in or put in your credit card information on the PayPal site. And then you, then you're bounced back to the site that the original site um, eventually, right? Right. With PayPal Express, it's quite different. Uh, usually, there's a PayPal Express button. They put it on the um, on a cart page. So instead of going to checkout, you would go to PayPal Express, and then you choose your uh, billing and shipping uh, address that you probably already have stored at PayPal. 
uh, and then you basically authorize the transaction on your PayPal account. So, well, and yeah, you would have to log into PayPal before you do that. Right. Um, but to, and then you authorize the transaction, and then it brings you back to the site to complete the transaction to like to confirm it. Um, but when it does that, it also brings all all that billing and shipping information back with it, right? So you don't have to fill anything out. It's it's perfect. Um, Which I is think really it's, nice. I think it's the flow that they're kind of pushing. I'll be really curious for uh, um, mobile, right? Because if you're on a mobile phone, it'd be great, right? Because you oh yeah, definitely no credit card numbers, nothing, right? You just you just tap so a few buttons. I would be really curious to know because um, this is so. My concern with PayPal Express has always been that it's an extra step to complete the purchase. So okay. you authorize in PayPal, you return to your website, and you confirm the order there. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered if there's if there would be a higher drop off rate due to people not realizing they need to complete the order, or it's just giving them one more chance to cancel out. Have you seen any of that yet? Yeah. Or that's... maybe you're just not live long enough to know. I, I'm just, yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. I'd be really curious to know. We'll uh we'll we'll have those rates, those drop off rates, I'm sure, um in the future. But yeah, it's just too early to, to know. Sure. But you know what? In two months time we might be <laughs> going backtracking on this. Um but I, I really I think it is a better experience overall. I think my biggest concern is that people haven't seen this enough yet this flow this different flow to paypal and they're they're gonna think that they've already paid right right when they get back to and, my and that's, site that's, they're gonna that's think they're done i've seen so like we we have a paypal express add-on for add and we've had people um run into exactly that issue where their customer wasn't sure wasn't aware that they hadn't actually paid yet like they got back to the checkout they thought they were done and they closed it right yeah uh, so we'll and see I, what the I numbers think that's obviously say. a case where you just have to be very careful to make it very clear they're not done. Yes. Yeah. I think that's part of it too. And and we still we definitely have a few tweaks to make still to the to our checkout as well. I just went through it and it's it's really nice looking. Yeah. It, it's sorry for screwing up your rate by dropping it off. <laughs> by dropping what what's what do you mean? Oh, I went through PayPal to go to Oh, you, you bastard, you're a bounce you're a bounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um Oh, and also the other thing, I used to have, um, we used to have uh, the the Stripe overlay. So when you would hit like enter payment details or whatever, like the Stripe overlay would pop up and and you'd enter your information into that little form mm-hmm. and then you'd, you'd hit, you know, submit it and then it would go, but it was like Stripe branded. And right. so I've, I've changed that to just be, a, you know, a standard embedded form in, in our I would page. love to know what you find with conversion rates with that, um, if they are better or worse with yeah. Stripe at least. Because we did a test on that with Affiliate WP. Um, yeah. I think I've told you about this test. We Yes, but I think it's quite different though. It is, it is different for sure. Yes, okay. Because ours was actually not on the checkout page. Ours was yes. on the pricing page. Right. But I'm still really interested to know how that overlay or the lack of the overlay affects conversions. So I really want to do it again but see if I can test it where half the people on checkout get an overlay, half the people just get an embedded card form. Right. I think it would be a fascinating A-B test. Yeah. So just to be clear on how our card, our, our checkout has changed. So before, what you would do is there was no credit card details in the main form, and you would hit the button as if you were kind of completing the order, and then the overlay would come up for Stripe. Right. 
Which right? is so, definitely it, a strange experience. It is strange. It's super strange. And we we got quite a few people emailing us saying that they thought that they completed the order and it didn't work and stuff. And what they had done, who knows what they had done. <laughs> but it was definitely foreign to them. Um, and so I think this is going to help a lot. Like, it's just part of the form. I mean, there's really nothing different about any other shopping experience. So Very cool. hopefully... Hopefully it helps. It, is, it was it was a very smooth experience going through it just now. Cool. I, I hope uh, I hope everyone finds it smooth. Are you um, are you trying to, are you measuring the the change at all? Yeah, but just I'm not running an A B test or anything. Sure. I'm just, just I'm just gonna wa- watch the rate. Change or not? Yeah, yeah. It's only been a what? week so far, sure. so it's really pointless to look at the numbers yet. But yeah, um, yeah. We're we're running uh, an A B test right now. For affiliate WP, just a very simple one. We're testing uh, a headline on the on the main site, like on the homepage. We yep. changed the headline text to show three different versions. And I keep looking at the results and like, oh well, that's really interesting. And then I realize, oh, it's only been running like five days. It's maybe I should just close it and ignore it for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, inconclusive, right? It's like, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've you you see those results and you and you want to try and make a make a conclusion or jump to assumptions about it, but. <laughs> Yeah, you really shouldn't. No, because it's telling you <laughs> you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. you're using opti- optimizely, you right? You're using optimizely. Yes. Yeah. Um, Such a cool system. Yeah, it's it's good. Also uh, worked on URL coupons, which is related to checkout. Um, so instead of having a, ch- a coupon form, probably just in a little over a month, we're gonna remove the coupon form from our checkout Mm -hmm. and the only the only way you'll be able to apply a coupon is using a url um i've been interested in doing that yeah just because it's we'll see though because i i i feel like we're probably going to get quite a few emails from people saying i can't find the check the coupon form (laughs) right um but hopefully it'll work and the the real the real reason we have you know we're doing this is because the coupon form when people see it they realize oh i should look for a coupon and then they go to google find some cat pictures and then you'll never see them again (laughs) right so they they go away and they never come back there's another aspect to it uh and this is one that we recently were digging into for affiliate wp um so you know how you have affiliate coupons a lot of times. I don't know if you guys personally do them, but I know you're probably aware of what they are, mm-hmm. where you have affiliate accounts and they have dedicated coupon code. If anyone uses that mm-hmm. coupon, that affiliate gets a commission. Um, it, there are great and bad things about them, but we discovered a problem with one of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we were noticing that it was being used a lot, uh, which is fine. Like I have no problem. If, if they're legitimately helping us get more customers, then mm-hmm. I'm going to reward them for that. That's the point yes. of an affiliate program. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So we were looking at it, and I, was, I noticed it had been used a lot, and so I was I started to be a little skeptical on it. But I look, I went and looked at the account, and I realized that the amount of ref, the the amount of traffic he had sent us this particular affiliate was extremely low, mm-hmm. but the number of referrals was extremely high, and it's because they were using the coupon code. Yeah. Now, that so that makes you you have to look at it and think, okay, how are they finding that coupon code? And it's because they're going to checkout. They're seeing there's the option to enter code. They Google affiliate WP coupon. They find it, and then they enter it. So yeah. now, is that necessarily a bad thing? Maybe, maybe not. But in, uh, in, I'm inclined to say it is because 
we are, number one, we're giving the customer a discount, which yeah. may encourage them to, maybe it'll convince more people to purchase that wouldn't otherwise, but we're also giving the affiliate a commission on one that they didn't necessarily earn. Right. So because they losing. didn't actually send us new traffic. So you're um, giving like, you you know, yeah, I mean, we have the same problem. So we, we pay out our affiliates 20% of, of uh, in commission and yep. and we give them coupon codes for 20% off. So essentially when when both are you pay 40%. both apply yeah. it's 40 percent right so. yeah and that's that's exactly our issue and uh and in this case it's not that the affiliate has done anything wrong no. um because they were given a code and and we what we ended up doing was we just emailed them and said hey here's the scenario clearly this is not good for us so we're going we'd like to make a couple of changes here's what we propose let's let it sit for a month and let's reassess and in this case he was extremely uh, friendly about it and completely agreed and so we've we've done things like we we asked him to go ahead and write additional reviews or blog posts about it to do more right uh, to make organic up referrals it. yeah um, and but it's just something to be aware of and so removing that coupon field on checkout is something that we've been considering for the exact same reasons yeah I mean it el- eliminates that problem right Right, uh, and it would still allow the affiliate coupons to work it just yeah. means they need to update it to preset it from a URL exactly yeah, that's that's exactly what we're we're doing. So it, right now, so if you go, if you use a coupon URL, it'll like you get dropped off on our features, the Migrate TV Pro features page, and a little thing will slide down from the top in yellow that says your coupon code has been applied. Nice. Uh, and then when you get the does that work codes, on any page of the website? It does. Yeah, we did it that way on purpose so that is that a, is that a native feature in WooCommerce or is that one that you built? We built. Uh, there's an add-on for WooCommerce. Uh, it does a bunch of stuff that we didn't need, and the the code that we wrote is super simple. And we just decided sure. let's just do it, do it ourselves, maintain it ourselves. It's a little bit easier yep, than makes sense managing a plugin. Well, if you uh, if you end up making that change in the near future, I would love to hear how the, that turns out. Because yeah. 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 Well, we'll be we we're gonna remove that form one one of these days. <laughs> we, we've already I've already sent an email to our affiliates warning them that the coupon code field is going away. So and to use these these new URLs. So cool. It, it's gonna happen. Anyways, what else? What else have you been up to? Um, the one of the things that we've been working on, um, outside of code and development is, uh, number one ramping up our support team in terms of getting more people involved with it, even just part-time work. So we've added um, uh, two, three, two new people in the last uh, two weeks. Uh, One specifically for uh, Restrict Content Pro. Um, And so he's uh, coming in to help us part-time. And then we've got another guy that just hopped on to join us for EDD support part-time. Just trying to spread the load out a little bit more get more people involved. And then also uh, adding another person for specifically for maintaining documentation. Um, we, we've been aware um, that documentation is super hard to maintain. Um, so we've always, always tried to kind of say like, okay, everybody let's help out with documentation. Um, so this, the support guys, so this would be Sean, Andrew, myself, anyone else contribute some documentation, help update it, keep it up to date. But that doesn't really work. It doesn't work to have everybody do everything um, because everybody ends up with a focus. 
which is great, which is honestly, which is good because they should have a focus. They should really have their focus on what they're best at. Um, mm -hmm. So John is awesome in support. Sean is awesome in support. Sean is also awesome in documentation and site updates. Uh, Andrew's awesome in support, documentation. Chris is fantastic in development. Um, all of these different things. Uh, and so we're trying to break it apart a little bit more and get, instead of just saying, hey, Sean, this week can you work on documentation? Or this week I'm going to work on documentation or things like that. Right. We want to have someone dedicated to come on just right. for documentation. So you give so, give people a kind of ownership of things so that they can kind exactly. of take pride in it and yep and yeah it makes a big difference I think yeah so right now we're uh, we're working with uh, Topher DeRosia uh, for part time to do documentation so he's he's slowly getting ramped up on maintaining documentation writing documentation for extensions that don't have it um, and hope we're hoping in the near future that. This might become a full-time position, uh, but we're we're just kind of playing with it for now, and seeing how that goes. If if it doesn't end up happening within the next couple of weeks, it's definitely something that's going to happen in the long term because there's there's so much to do with documentation. Cool. Should we do a quick quick uh, rundown of a couple of news stories in the WordPress space? Yeah, definitely. What okay. you got for the first one? Uh, well, there was uh, kind of a, some hoopla about automatic plugin updates. So there was a security bug in WordPress, or no, in WordPress SEO plugin, right? Is it, do yeah. I have this right? Yeah, and uh, which is super popular, right? It's used on like, I think it's fair to say it's used on the majority of WordPress installs, right? Like, it's definitely it, a really large number. Yeah, and and so. And and be that being the case, it, it's it's super you know it's a big problem when there's a security flaw in that software because uh, it also affects you know the security appearance of WordPress itself, right? Um, right. Like a lot of people, if there was a problem, like if your website got hacked, they'd probably blame WordPress, even though it was a flaw in WordPress SEO. So uh, the uh, WordPress plugin team has the ability to push an update, uh, force an update on all the installs, and that's what they did. And it just fixed this one little thing, but a lot of people felt uh, this was like a violation of their, um, I don't know, of their confidence in, in, in the WordPress uh, plugin team, or I, I don't know. People, I think people there was, weren't happy there definitely, about it anyway. <laughs> yeah, there were some of those people that, made, like, that felt it was a breach of their privacy almost. Like, mm -hmm. and they're, Because they have a self-hosted version of WordPress, and mm -hmm. suddenly it's kind of crossing the lines of what's self-hosted versus what's managed. Right. Yeah. Uh, I will say I think it was the right move, and I fully support the auto-updates. Yes. Um, I And I'm on the same page. Uh, and... There's a great article that I'm in complete agreement with written by Morton Rand Hendrickson. And uh, we'll link it up in the show notes. And he just, he, I couldn't have wrote, written it any better myself. Um, and I think he, it's pretty much, I agree with everything he says in, in, in his article. Yeah, it's, it's superb. Uh, and I think for anybody who wants a uh, TLDR, is that really the, we can talk about all day how, the automatic update was maybe a breach of trust. We didn't give permission for it to happen. But what people tend to forget is that 
those of us that are outspoken in the WordPress community, those that speak up, those that have an opinion like this, are a, a very small minority of WordPress users. Mm -hmm. Maybe less than one percent of the users. The real the real user base of WordPress doesn't care about updates. The real is and not necessarily that they don't care about updates, but that's not they're not in there managing their sites. They're just yeah. using it to write their content. And they're not uh, listening to this podcast. <laughs> absolutely. That's for sure. And that's who these updates are for, is for the 99% of users that would be affected by a security flaw because their site probably wouldn't get updated unless they already had someone else who was managing it for them. Uh, and it's really important to think to realize that uh, that it's we need to get these these things fixed. If, mm -hmm. if there's a, a security flaw that is really significant and that could have a drastic impact uh, in a, in a on, in a lot of different ways on a lot of sites, that needs to be resolved. And when 99% of the sites out there are being managed by people that really are not necessarily paying attention to updates in WordPress, don't really care because they're running their own things. That's what this is for. That's what these updates are for. And I support it 110%. Yeah, I I, th I see it's akin to like a push notification that there's like a hurricane coming or something, you know, like yes. <laughs> that comes to your phone that you didn't ask for and you're like, oh, it's spam. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but it sure is nice to know about that hurricane. Yeah, you know? I totally agree. <laughs> on, this, on the subject of... Uh, security updates and such. There's actually been several updates recently for other plugins um, that had security flaws. Most of them related to uh, SQL injection, uh, and that includes uh, WordPress SEO, Gravity Forms, Pods, Main WP, WooCommerce, Affiliate WP, etc. Um, and this actually, some of what I'm going to say here came from a quick conversation I had last night. Uh, yesterday, we discovered a bug in Affiliate WP, an SQL injection bug. Uh, and it turned out to be a really minor issue because the only way it could be exploited was if you were already a full admin and logged into the website. Um, mm -hmm. Which, at that point, you can do anything to the site anyway, so it's a much more minor of an issue. We mm -hmm. pushed out a fix for it anyway, though, and we we posted about it. And a couple of people came back with comments about, like, hey, um, it's kind of concerning to see all of these different plugins pushing out security fixes. Are these developers, even high-profile developers of, of WooCommerce, Gravity Forms, et cetera, like, are these people serious? Like, why are all these problems here? And it's the, it's the mentality that when you see the words SQL injection, you immediately assume this is a critical error, a critical problem. All these sites are vulnerable to these horrible issues, mm -hmm. which is a really overreaction because just because it's an SQL injection does not mean that it can be exploited. It just means in the perfect scenario, in this particular case where you have the right privileges, where you have access to this, you know how to do it, et cetera, it can be exploited. Now, obviously there are some that are very, very real, but the point that I'm trying to get to is that uh, Seguri, uh, the, WordPress, the security firm, published a really nice post about, titled uh, Understanding WordPress Plugin Vulnerabilities. And it goes on to this exact idea that we see SQL injection and just assume the worst, which is really not necessarily the best way to react. Instead, you need to look at what the actual issue is and how severe is it. And they, they run through how they actually score vulnerabilities on using what's called the DREAD score, uh, which is damage, reproducibility, exploitability, affected users, and discoverability. 
So it's really how much damage is it going to cause if it's exploited? How easy is it to reproduce? How like uh, is it something that's going to be exploited easily? How many people are going to be affected? And how easy is it to discover this bug? Hmm. And all of these updates, all of these plugins that had these updates recently, none of them even scored high. So none of them were even severe vulnerabilities. Not even the WordPress SEO one? Um, let's see. I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know. They, they, they gave it a low score in terms of it was not a very high priority. Huh. Interesting. Which is kind of interesting because it was, it was considered a high priority, at least for the WordPress.org team, because they pushed an auto-update. Yeah. Hmm. Um, now, I haven't looked at the, the exact flaw on that one, so I don't have anything else I can say on it, but yeah. I just I think it's really important that we all we we stay grounded when we see security flaw or we see SQL injection or privilege escalation. Yeah, I mean there's subtleties to it, right? It's absolutely. not just it's it's not uh, it's not just like the the sky's going to fall. <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's the sky's going to fall if this and if that and if, you know, there's a lot of ifs most likely. Yeah. Um, yep. Like in your case, if you're a super admin, which means you already can destroy the site, so it's yeah. a big deal. Uh, and 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 really, for like someone to like, let's say some uh, malicious person wanted to go in and exploit the bug that we had in Affiliate WP. Sure, they can do that, but in order to do it, they have to trick a site admin into exploiting it, which really means that they probably already have full access to the site. Yeah. I mean, the 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 exception to that is if they like uh, if they incur if they manage to get the admin to install another plugin that then exploited the vulnerability. That's possible, but again, you're it's still an action on the site admin required. It's not like I can go to any website that's running affiliate OP and just exploit it. I have to be logged in as an admin. So anyway, for anybody who's interested, uh, even if you're not interested, I would suggest you go read. Uh, both the post on understanding vulnerabilities from Sigiri and the one from uh, Morgan Rand Hendrickson. For sure. Anything else you want to throw out, Brad, before we wrap up? I think we should wrap it up. Maybe we should give a quick shout-out to our sponsors real quick. Uh, once again, the guys from Ninja Forms are awesome. Uh, they've been an ongoing sponsor. They do some really cool things. They pushed out a couple of updates recently that had some really nice performance improvements. Um, and they're great. Yeah. So go give them a Go check them out. Leave them a rating. Try they, their they, had a, they had a nice blog post about that, too. We'll, we'll link that one up in the show notes, too. But yes, they did. Thanks for uh, remembering that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody.